Dangerous Times at Chillhaven High presents Ghost Story. We open once more inside the basement laboratory of the Lynn residence, wherein we find admitted cryptozoologist and alleged super scientist Jeff Lynn, along with notable wet blanket Vesper Indigo both of whose faces are currently masks of exhaustion and frustration, as they stand wearily over the limp, one might say, corpse-like body of one Zeke Lin, whose experimental ghost goggles are currently affixed around his head and whose ghostly astral form is currently hovering a few feet away. Jeff says, uh, Okay, so wait. It was two for no, three for maybe... Long, short, for and function, short, long, for if then function? Vesper, do you remember? Um, what? Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. I've been playing Candy Crush on my phone. <laughs> Never downloaded a phone game before, but um, <laughs> this seemed like an opportune time to start. Vesper and Jeff do not see, but we the audience see, the ghostly form of Zeke hunched over the slab in the lab, looking equally as exhausted and frustrated, but much more translucent than Vesper or Jeff. Oh my God. There's got, there's got to be a way. I can't deal with this anymore. Wait, can I, grab, can I grab a marker? Can I grab a marker? Is there a marker nearby for me to grab? And Zeke frantically waves his hand through a marker on the whiteboard. but he can't concentrate long enough to grab it. Oh my God, somebody just take the, take the batteries out of my headset. If I yell louder as a ghost, do they hear me eventually? People hear ghosts. Wait, Vesper, did you hear that? No. Yeah, I guess it was nothing. Take the batteries out! Oh my God, okay, this isn't working. I, I have to... Close your eyes, take a deep breath, just reach out and grab it. Your hand is real. Just trick yourself into thinking your hand is real. Okay, I got it. Oh, and it slips through Zeke's hand a little bit. Okay, all right, I don't have a lot of time. B, A, T, T, E, R, I-E-S. We cut back to the version of this room in which Zeke's ghost is not visible. We see Vesper and Jeff, their attention perk up as a marker, seemingly of its own accord, lifts, wobbly at first, up off of the slab, and then hovers, spitting in the face of God and all of his beautiful laws of physics, towards the whiteboard. And then like some form of Automatic writing, but without a person involved. (laughs) The marker begins to slowly, squeakily write out the word batteries on the whiteboard. Zeke! He did it! He's communicating with us. Something about batteries. I know. We'll throw AA batteries at his face until he comes out of it. (laughs) Vesper? Go upstairs into the junk drawer and scoop a handful of those bad boys up. I've got hundreds of them. Yeah, it could be that. Uh, It's interesting that 
Although he seems to have been able to master astral control of an object, he still chose to only write one word, and opposed to giving us context of some kind or helpful instructions. It's hard to hold the marker! But I guess if you're a doing lord in your body, you're still a doing lord outside of your body. Damn. But however, guessing from context clues and the fact that every device Zeke makes is basically some sort of specialized Game Boy or Bluetooth speaker, I think his ghost goggles might be battery powered. And maybe he just wants us to pop the batteries out because he didn't actually build it with a good failsafe switch. Yeah, that makes sense, too. <laughs> we see Vesper crouch near the uh, lifeless corporeal form of Zeke Lin and examine the ghost goggles locked around his head. We see over Vesper's shoulder Zeke's body, which we've seen a number of times now as he slips into what is essentially a sleeping comatose state as his astral form flits about and does silly bullshit. However, this time, we can see a marked difference in the appearance of Zeke's body. Vesper says, um, um, Mr. Lin, Zeke looks dead. Like, dead dead. We see Vesper place two fingers on Zeke's carotid artery. Does his pulse normally stop when he puts these goggles on? Jeff says, um, uh, I don't know, but I assume that his brain probably does still need blood, so... Let's pop those suckers off right now. Like right now. Vesper, can you take the batteries out right now? Can you do it right now? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Jesus Christ. I guess it's genetic. <laughs> and we see Vesper pop the batteries out and hear the electrical hum of the ghost goggles die down. Zeke, you watch this happen from your astral form. Mm. And then continue to watch your body lay motionless on the floor before you. Oh my God, you're dead. You should have told him what to do. You stayed in it too long. We knew that you shouldn't have done this. Oh, 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 piss. Zeke brought to a state of uh, odd mental calm by this horrible dilemma, casually reaches down and picks up the marker and just writes, oh, piss on the whiteboard. <laughs> oh my God, he's still a ghost. Vesper, it didn't work. Sophia! Oh shit, Sophia's on a date! <laughs> I guess it's going good though, they should have been back by now. No time for that! Um, um, we see Jeff sort of like shaking, trembling, looking around the lab, desperately, eyes frantic, until finally he sees a currently unoccupied Sophia arm hanging limp from a open iris door in the wall. With a great heave of strength, we see Jeff grab the arm tear it loose from the wall, <laughs> exposing the electrically charred wires inside. He grabs a positive and a ground wire in each hand, sparks flying out of them, and jams them into Zeke's chest. <laughs> Is someone cooking like a breakfast meat? Oh my God, Zeke, you're alive. Yep. <laughs> I thought uh, for a second there, I'd only be able to communicate with you via marker for the rest of, well, my life, because yours would have been over. Uh, I hurt everywhere. The whole thing hurts. 
Yeah, human bodies aren't designed to be conduits for tremendous amounts of electricity. I thought we were batteries. I thought that's what the Matrix told me. Is that why you wrote batteries? (laughs) Yes, Dad. I wanted you to watch the Matrix. I think, Zeke, maybe the ghost goggles should be put to the side for a little while. Uh, Seeing as how they almost just murdered you. uh, No, I'm good. I'm fine. Goggles work great. Okay, but if we can't use... If we can't use me, then we need a different ghost here for our experiments so we can we can test what a ghost is made of. Because we didn't get that far. And why was that? Because I put the goggles on without talking to anyone and without telling them anything <laughs> about how the goggles worked. What lesson do you think you learned going forward? That, that being a ghost sucks. Hmm. Can't argue with that. <laughs> Well, speaking of ghosts, do you have any suggestions for how we might lure one here to sample? Oh, I got a few phone numbers in my phone. Give Greta a call. Call him on over. We cut across town to the once happy home of Bart and Penny White. Now, this formerly cheerful domicile has become unto a prison to one Penny White, who finds herself incarcerated there via being grounded. We see Penny stomping in circles around her room after just slamming the door. She walks over to her dad's old radio, turns to a pop punk station, turns the volume all the way up to like 64, and thinks about what she's going to do. She pulls out her phone, dials Zeke's number, calls him. Zeke! I'm... Are you okay? No. No? No. Why? Uh. You first. You called me. Yes. I'm grounded. And I can't leave. That sucks. I need someone to come get me. I've got to go to Wally so I can figure out how to do the spell. Mm, okay. Now, what's wrong with you? Um, um. Hold on one second. Penny, we see Penny turn down the volume a couple notches. Um. Oh, we were trying to test stuff on ghosts. So I put the ghost goggles on so that I could be a ghost. But then I sat out of my body for a really long time, and my body might have died a little. Why didn't you just take the batteries out? Because I didn't tell Vesper or Dad that that, that had to happen for me to come out. Why? Because I because he's a dingling. <laughs> Hi, Penny. Hi. So anyway, my dad jabbed some electrical wires into my chest, and now I smell like cooked bacon. And also, I'm in a tremendous amount of pain. I can bring you an ice pack. That would be nice. Can or you come get me? 12. I physically can't come get you, but... Dad! What's up, buddy? Can you go get Penny? Don't tell him I'm grounded. Can you go pick up Penny, and when you go get her, just stay in the car, and she'll come out to you? Tell him to park, like, two houses down on the corner, and I'll just walk around. Yeah, Dad, park two houses down on the corner, because... I'm not grounded. Because Penny's not grounded. Wait, that's not what you're supposed to say. I was just (laughs) making sure you knew not to say it. Okay, uh, hi, Penny. Um... Hi! Heads up, we have been able to hear everything you said through the science watch Zeke. that is currently on speakerphone. <laughs> and uh, as much as I love to have you around, I uh, can't, can't go against Bart's wishes on that one. Why? So sorry. Uh, because he's your father and he has grounded you. But and what as if another he's... parent, uh, sorry, that supersedes everything else. But what if he's that wrong? Parent, cool. Being a parent doesn't just make you right all the time. That'd be cool. P- be cool, don't be like all uncool. <laughs> We've got to save the world. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sorry, Penny. That's going to be a big no-go from Jeff. I'm sorry, Penny. It looks like it's a no-go. <gasps> Penny hangs up. Penny calls Angela. 
We cut to a very frustrated Angela Atticus Jr. in the parking lot of Beyond the Gibbering Veil with a one heck gently. Ugh. See, now how am I supposed to find out how to crunch the rock priest? Yeah, all of these books are just like mostly public domain pictures and the words that are here are uh, kind of poorly written gobbledygook. I feel like they're just, and they're like, all these cover prices are like $75. I feel like these books are just kind of... Um, bullshit. I, they seem like bullshit. Back to the drawing board. Oh, uh, Penny's calling me. Hold on one sec. Hello? Angela, I need a ride. I'm grounded. <laughs> no, you're not. Yes, I am. Bark grounded you. Someone told him that you can ground your kids, and he did it to me. <laughs> and I okay. tried to take his keys, and he he was one step ahead of me. They were attached to his belt. Okay, um, I'm with Heck. We're going to come get you. Oh, hi, Heck. So- sorry. It's hi, been Benny. A- it's been a while. Um, I feel like we have a lot to talk about. Now I'm extra stressed out. How are you? Uh, I'm great. I can do math now. That's amazing. This is All amazing. <laughs> oh, Pretty much. Wow. I haven't found a math that I couldn't crack yet. Well, I've got some pre-cal homework that I'm going to need some help with. Um, and, and, yeah. um, Angela, I, but can I, can I get a ride? Yeah, where do you need to go? Um, to Flo's, to meet Wally. Uh, be there in 15? Yes, park, uh, like two houses down on the corner, kind of going to jump out my window, and I'm kind of excited about that part, even though I'm mad that I'm grounded, but park there, and I'll meet you. Okay. Um, since you're jumping out of the second story window, I'm going to come catch you. (laughs) I can levitate. Oh, yeah. Most of the time. Sometimes I forget we're, like, super teens. Yeah. All right, see you in 15. Bye! Bye! I forgot to tell her about Zeke. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) We cut back to the inside of Penny's bedroom. She is hunched over on her nightstand writing a letter to her dad that reads, Dad, I forgive you for grounding me, even though I'm leaving anyway. You always taught me to do the right thing, and sometimes that means not listening to your parents. Sorry about that. Love you. I'll be as safe as I can. I hope you understand. Penny, in parentheses, don't ground me again, though. And then turns the volume on her music back up, sticks her head out of her bedroom door and says... Am I still grounded? Uh, yeah, kiddo, I just grounded you. Like, like I, like, just grounded you. <sighs> Slams the door. Now he'll know I'm still in here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You gotta touch base right before you leave. <laughs> then we see Penny rush over to her window, pull the window up, and Penny is going to try to, as gracefully as she can, climb out the window, but levitate down. Penny, you approach the window of your bedroom ready to throw it open and hurl your body recklessly outside. Mm -hmm. However, the White House is a very old house. It's been inhabited by many families for decades and decades. Each one of these families, having painted over the walls, trim, and windows without ever removing the paint that preceded it. As such, you find that your window, which, now that you think about it, you can't remember ever having opened before, is firmly and inexorably painted shut. We see Penny reach up just to simply open a normal everyday window to find that there's so many coats of paint on it that she couldn't lift it if she wanted to. What is this? Um, Penny is now going to try to use telekinesis to just unsuction the entire pane of glass out of this window and kind of let her body follow and and, uh, levitate down Ideally. Okay. Since you are 
attempting to do two things. You're attempting to concentrate on removing the window carefully and quietly without damaging it. And then also concentrating on simultaneously lowering your own form two stories out the window to the ground. I'm going to have you make a telekinesis roll. That's a nine. Move, but it hurts. <laughs> okay. So you're going to succeed in removing the window, but you are going to take two harm in the process. Oh my God! <laughs> this is not my dad's fault. We cut to the interior of the Angelo Mobile as Angela Atticus Jr. and Heck Gently park in a secluded spot on the side of the road, a couple of houses away from the home of Penny White. Angela, you watch, eyes locked on the window to Penny's bedroom on the second floor, waiting for your friend to, using her incredibly well-developed powers of magic and telekinesis, surreptitiously drop like a feather safely to the ground from her window, where you can then scoop her up. You watch, Angela, as the pane of glass contained in the window, seemingly of its own accord, comes loose in one beautiful, perfect, translucent piece and then hovers a few feet in the air away from the window. You then watch as Penny White's head pops out of the now open window and with a tug of her arms on the sill, launches her body into the air behind the glass. Then instantly crashes to the ground like a fucking stone. <laughs> oh shit, she just fell out of the window. Penny! Oh God, it looked like it was going so well. Uh, Angela puts the car in park and runs out of the car to go uh, meet Penny on the ground. Penny, are you okay? This is the worst week of my life. That looked <laughs> really cool at first, and then I didn't expect you to end up face-planted in front of your home. No one expected it, but my head hurts really bad. Angela rolls Penny over so that she's laying on her back um, and sees the damage that's done to her head. Ugh. Penny, your vision blurs and your thoughts feel groggy from the two-story fall to the ground head first, which scrambled your eggs a little bit. But as your vision resolves, you see the familiar green face of Angela Atticus Jr. standing over you. And then you feel once more yourself floating up into the air until you realize that you're actually being held aloft, cradled in the arms of an incredibly strong robot boy. Oh, hey. Penny, are you okay? You jumped out of a window. Listen, heck, lower your voice. I We're fell so hard. Uh, grab Penny, we need to go. We don't want Bart to know what we're doing. My dad grounded me. Yeah, that's why we gotta get you and go. Kind of looked like you grounded yourself. Penny, we're going to drop you off at Flo's, okay? Are you going to be all right? I love Flo's. Do you have a concussion? <laughs> I feel like you shouldn't be alone right now. Um, heck, you're going to have to stay with her and make sure that she just doesn't pass out and never wake up. Heck? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's called death. Yeah, I, yeah, Angela, I know that I forgot a lot of stuff that I knew, but the concept of death is one that I'm still familiar with. <laughs> all right, Penny, let's get you to Flo's. We got 
back to the basement laboratory of Zeke and Jeff Lynn, where Zeke, Jeff, and Vesper are now joined by a fourth haunting ghostly figure. We see, still coated in a helpful layer of ectoplasm, allowing him to be seen, heard, and experienced by everyone in the room, Mm. and also still wearing the Chillhaven Skate Park and Animal Zoo security guard uniform in which he so horrifically died. We see one, Grud Fuddrucker. Hey, Grud, thanks for coming. Oh, yeah, no problem. I had nothing else going on. Not working at the zoo today. Well, you know, it's daytime, and um, also, uh, they're not crazy about having me around so much anymore, so I try to keep scarce at the zoo. Spent a lot of time lately just back in my, um, well, not ex-wife's house, because we were still married when I died, but my former wife's house, just sort of like retracing steps, places I went when I was alive, and like opening and closing cabinets, and turning lights on and sounds off. Great. And, uh, sounds really uh, fulfilling. Um, anyway, I don't know if it's fulfilling. Thank you for coming, Grud. Sort of just I turned my brain off, and then my spirit form just sort of like, you know, retraces the steps of when I was a living man. Uh huh. My wife screams a lot whenever she wakes up and I'm in the bedroom. Grud, thank you again so much for coming. Yeah, so what did you all want to put on the game or uh, play play a, poke, a little poker or what oh, are we doing? Oh, like, little, uh, oh no. Um, <clears throat> we've got a uh, hangout sesh with Grud. Yeah. Yeah, Grud, no, this is business. This is a business call. Oh, yeah, I should have figured. Um, <laughs> Idiot. Grud, you're so stupid. No, no, we can hang out a- afterwards. We got we got time to... <coughs> hey, are you all right there, bud? Uh, no. Not, I was dead for a little bit today. Oh, congrats on coming back. Yeah, thank you. There was a moment when, right before I died where I thought, Oh, Grud, this, you're going to come back from this. No problemo. <laughs> You did, really? No, then I saw that cow person eat my liver, and I was like, oh, that's probably it. <laughs> Dang. Uh, Grud, listen, we can, I'm sure there's a f- football game on later tonight that we can all go to sports and baseballs and watch together, but um, we do have some pressing business to attend to first. Grud, we called you here because well, we want to figure out what you're made out of. Oh, like as a ghost. That explains why this one's been hacking at me with a scalpel the whole time we've been talking. <laughs> we cut to Vesper just like crouched over behind Grud, holding a Petri dish in one hand and a scalpel in the other, desperately trying to scrape ghost stuff into it. Yeah, Vesper, how's that going? I can't seem to isolate any of the material. Well, we talked about this. It's it's like it's like light. It's like it's it's matter kind of, but like Wait. Grud's got ectoplasm on him. So if I just took, like, a syringe and I stick it through his ectoplasm, the only thing inside is going to be ghost stuff. And if the syringe is a vacuum and I pull back on the plunger, presumably it's going to get filled up with ghost stuff, right? If there's a room filled with light and you point the syringe at a lamp and pull the plunger, do you fill it up with light particles? Kinda. And if ghost material can travel through corporeal objects as you recently discovered Zeke and trying to communicate with me and your father why would the ghost particles stay inside of a normal syringe Ah! can we just stick him under an electron microscope and look at him well do you have an electron microscope that's human sized you bet we do (laughs) (laughs) Sophia oh damn it (laughs) 
You know, I don't even know if I remember to install buttons on a lot of this stuff, because normally I just say, hey, Sophia, and then she does it. I hope her date's going well. They've been gone all ding dang day. Yeah, should we check on her? We cut to the park. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? That is a flower. What's that? That is a flower. What's that? That is a bumblebee. What's that? That is a flower. Uh, we cut back. <laughs> All right, hold on. Give me a minute. We see Jeff start to remove cabinet doors and metal hatches, pushing aside old dusty beakers and unidentifiable pieces of technology until he finds a lever, which with a loud cranking sound, he pulls down. And simultaneously, you hear the grinding of dusty gears as a wall in the laboratory, Zeke, that you have never seen move before, begins to slide away. You see this metal wall retract slowly into the adjoining walls of the basement and reveal behind it a roughly coffin-sized alcove. Arranged like a vertical coffin or tomb, big enough to hold a single individual standing upright with a green light at the top, an ancient-looking readout screen, and confusingly and troublingly, four metal shackles. <laughs> Dad, where the heck did you get this thing? Well, Zeke, you probably don't remember because you were pretty young, but um, there was a period in time where I was trying to capture and examine a banshee uh-huh, uh-huh. from the bogs of Scotland. No, I remember the screams. Yeah, that was me. I never got one. I was going to say, <laughs> whose screams were they? But I did accidentally lock myself in this thing for about a day and a half. Yeah, I remember. I thought the basement was haunted. Well, if your mother hadn't found me, it would have been with my <laughs> dead ghost. However, despite my uh, inability to catch a banshee, which I was later informed aren't actually ghosts, but I don't want to get into all that, this thing should still, in theory, be able to examine Fortean particles. Is that what ghosts are made of? Well, I don't know what ghosts are made of, Zeke. That's what we're all doing here. But you have a name for what they could be made of? Well, you're familiar, of course, with Fortean phenomenon. Yes. Zeke, are you lying? No. Have you not been studying the Cryptid 101 binders that I've given you? Not since I was like eight, Dad. Fortean phenomena are supernatural phenomena that are documented to have occurred and occur sort of, let's say, science adjacent. Frogs falling out of the sky, rivers running red with blood. Oh, people dancing themselves to death for no reason. Spontaneous human combustion. Uh-huh. Okay, I remember this book. I liked this one. So, Fortean Particles is just sort of uh, my little catch-all name for particles that haven't yet been pinned down and identified by regular science. I like to call it vanilla science. But particles associated with Fortean phenomenon, supernatural and parascientific and the like. So... If we're trying to identify a ghost particle, I assume it would be within the field of Fortean particles, which this machine, if it works, are designed to detect. Okay, Grud, if you would float into the person-sized box, please, so we can take a photo of you with my dad's terrifying torture microscope. Ah, uh, okay. Loving this. <laughs> Guess can't die again, right? <laughs> <laughs> Zeke looks around. Wow. <laughs> Not from this. Oh, okay, that's cryptic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Dad, how does this thing work? Is it just plugged into the wall, or we got a we got a pull chain we got to yank, or what? Oh, it's hardwired into the house's core nuclear generator. Don't worry about that. Wh- 
wait, our house has a nuclear generator? Yeah, how do you think we power all this stuff? Sunlight? <laughs> Is that expensive? Are you asking me? Yeah. <laughs> probably. <laughs> it's probably expensive to build. I need to make upfront cost. Yeah. Mr. Fuddrucker, if you could take your position inside the tube. Uh, okay, great. And uh, we're sure that this is, um... ah, I'm a ghost. What could happen? <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. And we see Grud Fuddruckers, ectoplasmed ghostly form, take his position inside the tube. And we cut to a high contrast celluloid black and white, zooming in on a tight shot on Jeff Lynn's hand as he reaches for a large lever protruding from a science panel on the wall beside the tube. With a satisfying tactile lever kathunk, the switch is flipped, and the machine hums to life. We hear the sounds of science and electricity as the green light at the top of the tube begins to glow and then swirl. And we watch as a corkscrew of green light emerges from the light at the top of the tube and begins to swirl around crud. We see green crackling electricity run all up and down his ectoplasm surface as his eyes begin to glow from the inside. And then, after a moment, the green electricity is gone. The light shuts off, and the empty shell of Grud's ectoplasm collapses in a heap on the floor. What? Grud? Grud! Did we kill Grud? He was already dead. We killed him! With that, that ancient monitor installed in the wall beside the tube crackles to life. And we see a monochromatic digital representation of Grud Fuddrucker beside a series of swirling graphs and chains of numbers. And we hear in a distorted digital voice emanating from a crackling speaker beneath the monitor. Um, where am I? Grud's in the TV. Grud! Grud, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. You don't have to shout, but I can't, um, I can't see you or anything else. Just sort of in a uh, black void here. Oop, wait. I see some numbers floating around. Oh, look, a line graph. Oh, he's in that place from the one Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episode. Ooh, that one's logarithmic. Dad, you built a machine that... Converts ghost energy into code? Well, not on purpose. <sighs> Zeke face palms really hard and says, oh my God, so many aspects of my own personality are coming into clearer focus. Vesper says, um, okay, well, even if this machine clearly didn't work as intended, I guess if he's in the machine, we should be able to analyze him. So that's positive. Oh yeah. He's just in the computer now. Do, can we just run a diagnostic on Grud? Uh, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, okay, all right, I'll type Don't it out. Don't repeat it back to me like it was your idea. I was simplifying it for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like on Star Trek. Just push the button, Zeke. Okay, Zeke clicks the mouse and taps the keyboard a couple of times to run the computer's diagnostic program on Grud's data. Yeah, and we see uh, just below the computerized representation of Grud's face, a processing bar pop up and slowly begin to tick and fill with green as a number beside it reads two and then three percent.
Anybody want to play Canasta? We cut to Angela Atticus Jr. Doing something that she probably shouldn't be doing. Ghost riding the whip. No. <laughs> On Insta Scramble while driving. Because she got a notification that Quest Olsen just posted a story on Insta Scramble. So Angela clicks on the little circle with Quest Olsen's face in it to see her story. Angela, you find the most recent Insta Scramble story from Quest Olsen's Insta Scramble page, which was posted not long after she departed from Beyond the Gibbering Veil. The video in the story is brief and begins with Quest, similar to you currently, insta-scrambling while driving. As you can see, it's a lovely piece of quartz that has been polished so shiny. Oh my God, I can see myself in it. Um, And that of course points to priests because Jesus. Um, And yeah, so it was a really great info. Oh my God, what the fuck is that? After the screech of her tires and a wild turn on the steering wheel, Quest appears to drop her phone, and the video goes black. You see that the video was posted almost two hours ago, and her account has been on radio silence since then. Angela stops the car. Which is okay, because she's still driving in the forest back from Flo's. She rewatches the video again and again and again. Oh my god, what the fuck is that?! I'm trying to figure out if I can see anything in the background or like if there's any kind of like sign of a fast food restaurant or gas station. I'm trying to figure out like their location. Angela, on a subsequent playback of the video, Fuck is that? in which you've literally slowed it down to the point of reviewing it frame by frame by frame, <laughs> you see a glimpse of something out the window of Quest's Range Rover in the moments the phone fell from her hand and before the screen went blank. You see just a glimpse in this low-res frame outside the window of the Range Rover. You can see a sliver of the titular obelisk in the center of Lake Obelisk. And you realize, Angela, that wherever Quest was driving when she made this video was not only in the Anodyne Pines, but not too far from where you currently find yourself. Angela is zooming in on her iPhone to look closer at the images that Quest posted on Insta Scramble. Oh, you know, that kind of looks like Anodyne Pines, where I am right now. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. There's Lake Obelisk. And I'm so close. And even though that Angela is alone, she knows that she must go. She know that she must go. She yeah. know that she must go. Uh-huh. Go piss, girl. We cut to a few moments later. Deeper in the Anodyne Pines, on one of the little-used dirt-back roads that crisscross throughout this dense, creepy forest. Angela, your vehicle is at a crawl as you slowly creep through the woods, phone held aloft on that 
single screen of evidence from Quest's story, trying to pinpoint the exact place where the video was taken. And that's when you see it. On your right, the clear path of a vehicle out of control and off the road. You see the tire marks in the dirt and the trail of broken branches leading out of sight. Angela parks the car but doesn't turn it off. She wants to use her headlights to light up the accident. She steps out of the car, closes the door, and puts her hand behind her back and pulls out her trusty sword and cautiously makes her way to the car that looks like it's in an accident in front of her. We see Angela, sword held aloft, illuminated from behind by the lights of her Angelo-mobile. As she carefully follows the broken debris and muddy tracks of the path of the car that has veered off the road. After a few moments of walking, Angela, you see a new source of light. The broken, askew headlights of a second Range Rover. Its front end wrapped around a tree. Quest? Quest! Angela inches closer to the car. Angela gets close enough to the second Range Rover and opens the trunk to see if anyone's inside. Not inside the trunk, but inside the car. Angela, you throw open the trunk and examine the vehicle, which sits empty. Except you see that the driver's side door is hanging loose on its hinges, and that's when a form in the distance catches your eye. Off in the distance, illuminated now by this Range Rover's headlights, you see, jutting out from behind the trunk of a large tree, a still foot in a chunky wedge sandal. Without even thinking about it, Angela runs over to the foot. Angela, as you round the corner, the full horror of the scene is revealed to you. On the other side of this tree, attached to said foot, you find the corpse of Quest Olson. <gasps> Quest? I didn't even like her. I didn't want her to die. Angela kneels next to her and checks for a pulse. Angela, you check for a pulse, but you know long before your hand arrives on her neck that it's going to be useless. Her face frozen in a horrified scream. You can see her skin cracked and broken and blue. And when you touch her neck to check for this pulse, which you already know isn't there, you find that she is freezing cold to the touch. Even her eyes coated in a thin layer of frost. Angela, with her hand shaking, reaches into her back pocket to grab her cell phone to quickly call 911 for an ambulance. Angela, you lift your phone to call for help. But the moment before you press the button to begin the call, you see something ahead of you that freezes you in your tracks. Emerging from the darkened forest, as if coalescing from the darkness itself, you see an unnaturally wide, inhuman, rictus grin. This grin is then followed into being by a gaunt alabaster face, its eyes concealed even in the darkened forest night 
by impenetrable round sunglasses and topped with a wide rim black hat. Beneath this face, a body now emerges, gangly and skeletal, elongated and stretched to inhuman scale and proportions. You watch in horror as a black clad arm, longer than it has any right to be, even in the context of the extended body to which it is attached, reaches out menacingly in your direction, closing the distance between this creature and yourself. Its long, white, grub-like fingers grasping at you, wriggling towards your face, as behind them, that wide, hideous mouth opens to emit an inhuman, brittle laugh. (laughs) Hello, child. Can I cut his fingers off? Fuck yeah. (laughs) Roll and kick some ass. Ending on such a dramatic cliffhanger. I'm on the edge of my seat. Tee hee. Just kidding. My body is not structured in a way to allow me to sit in the traditional sense. But hey, let's stay traditional and read these credits, huh? Penny White is performed by Miss Lawson. Angela Atticus Jr. is performed by Megan Stressman. Zeke Lynn and Quest Olson are performed by James Kedlar, who is also the composer for all the podcast's original music. All other characters, human or otherwise, are performed by Philip Stressman, who is also the producer and game master for Dangerous Times at Chillhaven High. Additional sound effects provided by Zapsplat.com. Additional music from the Outshot Free Music Archive. Monster of the Week tabletop game, created by Michael Sands. Okay, we'll be back next time to remove you from this cliff. Hang until then.